0: Thanks for listening to the Media People podcast, lively and insightful chats with the people who power the media industry. I'm your host, Victor Genova. For more episodes, you can go to mediapeople.ca or subscribe wherever you get podcasts. Views expressed by participants are personal. Marketer, strategist, and nerdologist. This is the way Boris Cho introduces himself on LinkedIn. But if you dig a little deeper, you'll learn that the Midas Exchange's senior director of strategy has had one hell of a story along the way. Boris was born in Sao Paulo, Brazil, and moved with his family to Canada at an early age. 1980s and 90s pop culture was a big part of his upbringing, everything from cartoons, comic books, video games, music, and even professional wrestling, all of which helped shape the person he is today. And it was pop culture that influenced his early career moves, this includes everything from working in the music industry to opening a pizzeria in Saskatchewan. What's one of the keys to Boris's success? I'd argue it's the way he chases employment opportunities. Never one to take an apply and interview approach, he makes sure to do his due diligence on both the role he's applying for and the company that's hiring. From there, he proactively seeks out the hiring managers and then pitches to them how he can solve their business problems. Boris Cho stops by to chat about all of this and a whole lot more.
1: Midas Exchange is WPP's corporate trading arm and a specialty business unit within Group M. In a nutshell, Midas Exchange helps to drive efficiency across an advertiser's bottom line by enabling them to pay for a portion of their media using their products or services. My role at Midas is to deliver on client strategy, agency and cross-function collaboration, and business performance while educating our people and beyond on the value and complexities of corporate trading and media bartering.
0: I want to go back to the beginning, though. I don't think a lot of people know this about you, Boris. Where are you from? I was born in São Paulo, Brazil. Obrigado. Jo- <laughs> uh I, I joke so
1: much around the office that by the time people get to know me and they find out that uh, I was I was born in Brazil, they don't they don't believe me because I joke so much. Um, so at that point, uh, I gotta pull out some kind of proof. Uh, but yeah, I was born in Brazil. Uh, moved to Canada when I was
0: five years old. Talk to us about what life was like growing up in Brazil because I, I know you were only there for the first five years of life, but do you remember anything about it, anything at all? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I remember my nanny, uh, we had a nanny growing up. Um,
1: I, I absolutely remember the basement of the house we had. Um, it's probably where I remember it because uh, my twin brother and I drew all over the walls with crayons and we got in big trouble, and I think that that kind of was a
0: uh, a pinnacle moment in my life <laughs> it uh, turned it turned me into the man <laughs> i am today was there a bit of culture shock for you when you moved to canada i mean does a 6 year old even experience culture shock absolutely you know what
1: i think that younger kids experience culture shock a lot more than uh, adults would right because adults have some a way to manage their expectations Uh, But when I was five coming from Brazil to Canada, all of a sudden I was, you know, eating different food, um, not understanding the language that I was being learned to speak, uh, which was Korean. Uh, My parents are Korean, South Korean, moved to Brazil um, and had my, my older sister and myself and my twin brother. But, yeah, when we moved to Canada, uh, it, it was really different because I just looked out my my window and I just wanted to be that normal Canadian kid, right, playing hockey on the streets or biking, um, you know, doing normal things, eating hamburgers and french fries. And I felt like um, my childhood really wasn't like that. Uh, it, it was very uh, – we we kept to the Korean and Brazilian culture. We ate a lot of the Korean and Brazilian food growing up. So, yeah, it wasn't up until I was probably a teenager until I really tried, like, uh, a real grill, grilled cheese sandwich.
0: <laughs> well, I could say that the Korean and Brazilian diet – I mean, my wife is Brazilian, so I, I have a big appreciation and understanding for uh, the culinary arts there. So, I mean, that's not a bad diet to be raised on. So, uh, correct me <laughs> if I'm wrong. Uh, you are born in Brazil. That means you were raised to learning both to speak Korean and Portuguese and then as a five-year-old you come here knowing those two great languages but then I guess now you've got to learn English or were they teaching you English already in Brazil?
1: You know, they weren't teaching us uh, in English in Brazil. It was just Portuguese. So um, at school, we were, we were learning Portuguese, and at home, we were learning Korean. But the second we came to Canada, we were enrolled in ESL classes, right? So I remember having to take a taxi from Georgetown, Ontario, where I grew up, to uh, Milton, Ontario, every morning. Uh, and th- th- it was th- very strange because, you know, um, we were only kids – getting into a cab by ourselves and going to Milton from Georgetown uh, for about an hour or so to learn English. And then we, we would be driven back to um, the school in Georgetown. Uh, it was very strange, but i um, really glad my parents put me through that uh, because we picked up on it very quickly. And it, it it became our native tongue. Really? Um, I, I don't really speak Korean. I understand pretty fluently. My parents talk to me in Korean and I respond to them in English. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's very strange, but it, it's managed to work. Um, so I've lost a lot of the, um, pronunciation, I guess, but, um, I, I, would, I guess I would say I speak like broken Korean,
0: if that makes sense to anybody. I mean, I know broken languages are broken Italian a little bit. So I guess it's, pretty much the same that carries over. (laughs) Uh, So was that, I mean, when you moved to Canada then, was that your first time seeing snow? Because Sao Paulo is in the north, and when you're on the other side of the equator, the more north you get, the less likely you are to see snow in South America.
1: That's right i I don't recall snow growing up in Brazil. Um, and I don't really recall seeing snow for the first time here. like I, I don't remember that feeling, but I do remember being very young and building tunnels with my brother um, and that's probably the earliest memory I have about with snow and um, I, I I can actually just picture exactly how we built it and where we built it. Um, so we we're pretty young, but there was a lot of snow, so that was definitely not the first time I saw it but that's the earliest memory I do have of snow. (laughs) What were your hobbies or interests growing up? We had plenty or uh, I I say we, because when you grow up with a twin, especially twin brother, I guess um, you you tend to share similar interests. Uh, So we were into WWF wrestling. Uh, We were into Ninja turtles. Nintendo wasn't back in the eighties and nineties, right? WWF was everything, right? Um, I remember just being so jealous of people who had pay per view,
0: right? Yes, I agree with. No, we never. We would have to wait, and we would wait for the literally the video to come out three weeks later of WrestleMania or Royal Rumble or anything like that. Yeah, no, I know what you're saying. You're also a big comic book fan. How did you discover those? Because I'm also a big comic book fan, so I can totally relate to you. Growing up, I love drawing,
1: right? So, if you love drawing, you're going to gravitate towards comics. It's just a no brainer, especially as a kid. Uh, they're so colorful and uh, it's so interesting. So, I guess my passion for comics really started at an early age through drawing. But um, I've always held on to sort of what the characters mean to me, meant to me growing up, and they, you know, these they they probably mean a lot more to me now as an adult. Now that I, you know, I reread some stories and they're pretty powerful right and every every character has a significance they, they they serve a purpose right within that universe of uh whatever universe they're in um and that that's another thing i love about comics it's just how crazy you can get with characters and how creative and it's just such a great thing
0: you mentioned your brother your twin brother christopher uh, earlier on in our chat why do you cite him as say your your biggest influence the thing is is that you know chris and i
1: we were literally attached to the hip right and we are very competitive people um but we were never really competitive with with one another it was always like sort of chris and boris versus the world and uh it very much that really that sort of relationship is still existent today um we talk every day yeah you know it's just like having a best friend um since day one which is very rare right um <laughs>
0: You also cite your current boss, Sebastian Rennie. Did I say it right? Sebastian Rennie. Sebastian yeah, he, Rennie as as another influence or someone that you look up to.
1: Yeah, recently. So I, I work at Group M and I report to Sebastian. And Sebastian's an interesting guy. He is incredibly supportive. And uh, I could tell off the the bat the second I got there, um I didn't know anybody. I knew maybe a few people, but uh, he had my back, um, and that was clear off the gate. Um, he's incredibly smart, and I any chance I get to grab some advice from him, I do it. And, yeah, and let's just say he's got
0: me out of a couple jams already, you know? <laughs> <laughs> that is a good boss who can get you out of a couple of jams. Uh, tell us about your very first job ever. My very first
1: job ever was KFC. I was a line cook, or I guess you wouldn't really call yourself a line cook there. But I was a cook in the back, um, marinating the chicken and then frying them. And then I would get, I put them on a tray and then put them in the sort of like an oven that just keeps them warm. And then I did that
0: every about every weekend throughout high school. You say that you gave college a shot right out of high school. What do you mean by you gave it a shot? It sounds like it really wasn't for you. You know what the thing is, is that college
1: for me at that time, it wasn't a passion and it wasn't about learning or advancing myself in any particular way. I think it, it, me going to college was a means to get out of uh, you know the town I grew up in and try to build something new for myself and I think I just saw it as an opportunity to start something new. So I enrolled in like a general arts course where I, I, I wanted to use that to get into music production. Um, and yeah, it's it's crazy to think about because I have not thought about this in, I'm telling you, like a very long time. I At one point in my life, I, I was so dead set on being a music producer. And I would have done anything I could at that time to uh, make sure that happened. Uh, but then... I just got kind of got a realization. I did sort of the independent record label thing for a significant amount of time throughout when I lived in London and a bit in Toronto. And the thing is, is that the reward wasn't worth the the effort I would put into the work. Uh, meaning, I just, I just, I I don't think I loved
0: the industry. If that makes sense. No, I feel the same way about media sales sometimes. Yeah, I totally and, can empathize. Yeah. And, you know, I, I did take a step back
1: and say, like, you know, the do I really see a career in this? Is this really what I want to do for the rest of my life? Um, and when I was starting to make those decisions, I was finding myself falling less in love with music. So that to me was sort of. A gr- a, like a light in my head went off that was telling me like not to do this take what you loved about the music industry and find something you can apply that to uh which was essentially marketing um you know promoting bands and selling records and you putting on live events it was essentially I was a marketer and um so it was a very easy transition from going to say, uh, a, a, you know, a music associate or whatever, a producer or whatever you want to call yourself
0: to be a marketer. So I thought that that transition was really smooth. There's another part of your story that I want to dive into because you're born to Korean parents in Brazil, emigrate to suburban Toronto, but there's a period in there where you relocate to Saskatoon. What <laughs> were you doing there and why Saskatoon?
1: Actually, my brother, Christopher, lives in Saskatoon. He, 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 he used to be in Vancouver and moved to Saskatoon to open up restaurants with his business partner, um, who happened to be Dale McKay, uh, a great, fantastic guy. And actually, I ended up working for him when I went out to Saskatoon. Um, I had finished a st- at uh, a place called Style Democracy. I was looking for my next move, and my brother, who happened to be my largest freelancer, freelance client, Asked me, "Why don't you come up here and get our marketing operations up and running?" Um, it and I, I talk about it with my wife, and we decide let's get let's give it a shot, right? Let's go up there for a year, commit ourselves to a year, and um, see what happens. And then within that year, we ended up doing a lot of great work. I ended up opening up a pizza shop called Home Slice Pizzeria with my brother and Dale. Um, Damn, that sounds great. I know, right? Um. I love talking about pizza and I love eating pizza. So I, I don't likewise, know. I, Please keep going. Know, yeah. I haven't met anybody who hasn't. If you have on your show, I'd love to talk to them and see <laughs> if we, we can change their mind. Um, but yeah, we opened up a pizza shop and it, it was a really fun experience because I got to kind of build the concept from concept to creation on the branding, the identity. We did some really cool out of home, uh, activations and some interesting creative direct mail pieces too. Um, but at the end of the day, right, like food was not my passion. Um, While well, my wife and I were out in Saskatoon, we ended up actually having our daughter Macy, uh, which was a, – a, such a blessing uh, Because I think we were kind of going A bit crazy in Saskatoon We weren't sure if this was really the right place For us We we did decide to go up there as a temporary Move, um, but as soon as we had Macy, it was a no-brainer to come back to Toronto Where we're closer to friends and family A lot more friends and family Than uh, Saskatoon um, So yeah, and that that's actually How we came back But Saskatoon, yeah, that was uh,
0: that was Quite the chapter in our lives Oh, that's a great one. Okay. I got to ask you about the pizza shop though. Yeah. Was it like, was it like a full on restaurant or was it like one of the hole in the wall places where they only do slices and pies for takeaway?
1: Yeah, it was straight takeout and delivery. It was sort of like a fancy hole in the wall. Like, you know, we, we got a hole in the wall, but we made it uh, a really nice place. Right. It was all, um, subway tiles, um, a lot of decals going on. Uh, it was great. And we had a lot of antique things. A lot of Ninja Turtle things were in there. And actually, I remember um, I filled up a massive. Vintage did you say, cooler. sorry, did you
0: just say Ninja Turtles in there as yeah. well? I yeah,
1: love we, that. We had Ninja Turtle prints everywhere. Um, we had an arcade machine that had a hundred games in it. So people can play while they wait for their pizza. This was a place that if you were to stumble across in the 90s, you probably were wearing something neon and had
0: a fanny pack on, right? <laughs> baggy let, let, let,
1: jeans as well. Yeah, baggy jeans and hyper You got it, right? Was,
0: it, pepper it's... wet wear. We could talk about the 90s. Oh, God. It's
1: the face. But when you walked into Home Slice Pizzeria, that's what it was, right? You had your arcade games, you had Ninja Turtles everywhere, and uh, you had a big pile of comics that were free, right? We we made partnerships with all the local comic stores to give us their excess comics, uh, and we just gave them for free, and we promoted their shops, and it was a it was a great great way to um, incorporate our personal hobbies, personal touch to um, the shop.
0: Oh God, that sounds like something that I I would. I would love to just hang out in that pizzeria. I'd probably be your best customer or worst customer, depending on how much I eat or I read.
1: I think I was the best customer, and I think I gained a little too much weight.
0: (laughs) Okay, before we move off of that, though, did you guys have, like, say, a signature pie, something that you couldn't get anywhere else in Saskatoon, something that was out there, like, beyond pepperoni or deluxe or pineapple or Hawaiian or anything like that? Yeah, yeah, you know, I've seen it. I've seen it since we've done
1: it. I'm not saying we did; we're the first ones to do it, but I, we did a really good potato pie, and thinly uh, ah, sliced potatoes okay. on the yeah. And we with white you, pizza, no sauce,
0: uh, just an olive oil base. You got it, man. You got it. Uh, were okay. you were you, last, were you there? <laughs> uh, last name uh, Geneva, or people say Genova. It's been Canadianized, but yeah, no, a lot of pizza in my family. <laughs> That's awesome. But yeah, my wife. Into- my sorry, wife. Go makes,
1: sorry, I was going to say my wife makes a mean pizza ever since this lockdown. Um, She's been baking. Well, she's naturally she's a baker. She actually runs her own bakery here at home. Uh, she does cakes, but she's gotten into experimenting with breads. And let's just say like pizza and pretzels. Like I'm so ah, obsessed right now. That's yeah. quite the
0: combination. Something that we've experimented with, too, when we make pizza, it's. It's a Brazilian type of, uh, the brand is called Yoki. We get it at Nosotalo, uh, near Ozington, And, um, is it like a uh, cheesy our, bread? Exactly. Like a-, a cheesy bread is a gluten-free cheesy bread. Uh, whip it up with eggs, uh, and a bit of water. And I, in a couple of minutes, you've got the dough. We've been using that as a base and it's been fantastic.
1: Oh, I bet, man. I bet that sounds it, delicious. Oh,
0: you, you gotta be familiar with it. It's Brazilian. Yeah. 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 Well, I'm familiar with the bread. I don't think I've ever had it as a peat like a pizza crust. So you've had an amazing story, uh, I mean, emigrated to Canada, entrepreneur venture, starting your own pizza place out in Saskatoon, dabbling in the music industry, trying your hand at college, and then you land at Orion Worldwide as the Director of Marketing and Client Strategy. How did you find that role?
1: When my wife and I moved back from uh, back to Toronto from Saskatoon, um, It gave me an opportunity to sort of decide what I wanted to do as my next career move. Um, I was really passionate about creative and also technology. So I thought if I merge those two together, um, you kind of get media out of it. Um, So that's kind of the route I went. I I made a list of some media agencies and companies I wanted to work for. I'll tell you right now, Orion was not on that list, but some of Orion's um, sister companies that IPG were – on that list. So when I saw a posting, I threw my name in the hat. And luckily, I got a quick call and had an interview. Um, I met the HR director at the time or the hiring talent manager. um, And she sold me on the idea of like agency life. I've had many friends working at agencies, I've always been encouraged to go to an agency. But I was really hesitant because I I really love the client side and the flexibility. But Coming back, I wanted to start something new. so I, t- I took on this interview and learned a bit about the role about how the agency environment sort of kind of fits into my my personal culture. And I just went head in. Uh, I, I met the managing director, Trisha Allen, who's now the president of m um, six. We had a great chat, and you know, I, I went in there for a specific job interview, and then a couple days later, she gives me a call and, she offers me another job. She says, Hey, listen, Boris, after, you know, having a few cu- conversations with you, I was thinking maybe you, you'd be great at this job. And I said, listen, Trisha, how about I come in and we create a job that just that could fill a gap within that, the organization. And when I took a look at the business, I saw a huge gap in sales, business development and marketing. And I said, listen, Trisha." this is what I wanna do for the agency and this is how I wanna be valuable to the, to the team. Um, and Trisha just gave me so much trust and I, I love her for it because not a lot of bosses would give somebody that they just met that much trust. Um, but I think that when Trisha and I had met, there was a very good connection. We, I think we both come from humble beginnings And we kind of resonated on that. Um, We shared very similar philosophies just on life and about, you know, work. Uh, So she gave me a shot and then to create this role. And and what we created was a marketing and uh, business development role, which kind of pivoted and shifted and evolved towards more of a a client strategy role where
0: I was client facing and sort of basically leading all the client pitches from there. That's interesting. So, You went in and interviewed for one role and then went back and said, hey, here's how I can really be an asset for the company. So if you don't mind me asking, the role that you did interview for, did they ever actually end up filling that role or did that kind of get rolled up into the new role that you had proposed to them? It got rolled up into the role that
1: we had created, right? Um, I, I obviously wanted to fulfill the need that they were looking for, but I also saw an opportunity to do a lot more. Um, and I think off the gate, when you create a relationship based on proactivity, it's it's only going to flourish, right? Um, because I've sold myself. Now I've got to deliver. And uh, I spent my whole time at Orion just working my ass off, doing the best work I could, creating the relationships I needed, um, and building the team that I think the organization needed at the time. Uh, we needed some New people who were driven um, and found sort of the corporate trading um, category a bit sexy, right? And uh, we, we did make it sexy. I think we did a great job of selling the, you know, great services. We had a great media buying team with us. Uh, great people investing on our behalf. Um, so yeah,
0: it was an awesome experience that I would. I don't regret a single moment there. And from there, they promoted you to Senior Director of Marketing and Client Strategy. When they tack senior on to your title, what changes? I'm going to be honest with you. Not a
1: whole lot will change, but there is a level of expectation that will change. And that expectation comes from everybody in that room. Because when you're in an agency, and I'm I'm finding this, I've come to learn that when you're in an agency and you're progressing and your title changes, people expect a little more from you without having to have that conversation. So, you know, I took it to, I took it a point to add more accountability to what I was doing, Um, you know, holding my team more accountable for the work that they were also doing, but also being very flexible to innovate, meaning creating more time within the busy work schedules to think about new models and new ways of doing corporate trade, right? Um, so I guess my job changed in that aspect and a little bit more stakeholder interaction and engagement. Um, but I think the best part of becoming the senior director was um, giving
0: giving that green light to go ahead and build that team you want. Your previous role in Saskatoon, you were working for yourself. Was it difficult to go back into a corporate environment where you, you had a boss? <laughs> that's a good, it's a question that's I like a, to ask a, to. Yeah. A, I like to ask that to a lot of my guests who have had entrepreneurial entrepreneurial ventures and yeah. then uh, moved back into. I guess you could sort of say the corporate world.
1: Yeah. Right. Sure. Okay. So before working, um, for myself as a freelancer, um, I worked at a place called style democracy, which is like, um, it's a, it's a website, it's a blog. They, they do warehouse sales. I go to their uh, warehouse sales. I'm very familiar they, with them. Yeah. They, 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 it's great. Right. Um, and they bring like some of the sought out most sought after brands to, uh, you know, these Massive lines of people uh, who are getting massive amount of product at a massive amount of discount. Everything's massive when it comes to warehouse sales. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I worked at st- Style Democracy and, um, you know, I found like that the, their culture was very startup. Um, I, I wasn't really, you know, it took me very long just to kind of get behind what they were trying to do. I didn't really see the longevity in it. Over time, it was just it was just one of those things you just kind of have to move on from. And I think it was sort of mutually decision, mutual decision. They, they didn't see the passion I, you know, I once had when I first started. Um, so, yeah, I want to be honest about that. It, it, it made me think really hard about um, what I really wanted to do. Right. And then after that, I, I wanted to work for myself. I You know, I said I I, I struggle with a couple bosses in the past and, uh, you know, maybe working for myself is better. A better idea, so that's what how I became a freelancer. I was doing it quite a bit before, while working full time, but I hadn't gone one hundred percent full in um, until style democracy. Um, so f- from that experience, I learned that you know having your own book of business is great, but you're gonna miss working with a team, right. I thrive in an environment where things are happening at 110 miles per hour. So the second we moved to Saskatoon, it was just sort of a breath of fresh air to be able to work with such a massive team. When you're working with kitchens and front of the house staff, you're, you know, you're working up to almost 30 people at a time, right? Trying to communicate what the what the next promotion is going to be and how we're going to roll it out yeah. effectively and is the communication all consistent um yeah so i i don't even know if i answered your question
0: no no that's fantastic <laughs> i didn't mean to digress on that but like i said it's a question i like to ask a lot of people who were entrepreneurs and then had to go back oh, into right, corporate the life that was Jesus. the boss thing yeah the boss if, if you thing, want to bring yeah. it full circle yeah yeah, full circle. I prefer to have a boss one hundred percent.
1: I don't like working for myself. You know, I, I think it really? you know what? yeah, everybody's dream is to work for themselves, but my dream is to work with people. And if that means having a boss that's going to help guide me and help, you know, mentor me, and give me the the advice and the tools I need to step it up. And I think that, that that's why I really appreciate working with Sebastian is that Sebastian actually does that. You know, he, he has no problems pulling me aside and saying, Boris, um, this is what we need to work on. Right. Um, and this is what you need to focus your energy on. And I appreciate that because I've had some bosses who can't give feedback. Right. Um, yeah. I, I, th- I think, coming from Trisha, who was incredible at giving feedback and then now having Sebastian as a boss who is he, he, just as great. Um I've been really lucky, but I'm just going to tell you before that uh, I, I kind of struck out in that department. So now when you, you ask me, yeah, I think I would rather have a boss who I can lean on. And I, I, I love that, that
0: relationship you have also with sort of a, a boss and employee, mentee, mentor, Your move to Midas Exchange, though, it's reminiscent of uh, your move to Orion Worldwide, where, I mean, at Orion, you interviewed for one job and said, hey, here's what we can do. But Midas Exchange, tell us the story, because you didn't apply for a job because it didn't even exist. That's right.
1: The job I actually hold right now on Midas didn't exist until I met uh, and reached out and met uh, with Stuart Garvey, who is the current uh, Group M Canada CEO reached out to him on LinkedIn and say, Stuart, you know, um, probably not the most exciting message you're going to get today, but uh, I was wondering if you wanted to chat about the industry and about NABs, uh, because I sit on the board of NABs, um, and I did some research, and I found out that, you know, Group M, that collectively, across all their agencies, they have been massive supporters of NABs Canada. Um, and when you find things out like that, you reach out to the people responsible or at least people who can reach out to the people who are responsible. You let them know how great of a job they're doing. So I reached out to Stuart and, uh, you know, a week later I find myself um, sitting down having a coffee with the guy. I, t- I talked about myself probably more than I should have. Um, we talked about the industry. We talked about uh, nabs. and We talked about, you know, some – some of the changes that are happening in the in the industry. And I think between conversation, Stuart and I found a lot of similar philosophies too, very much like the relationship I had with Trisha. Um Stuart was, was very open. I, I probed in a little bit about what um Midas does, uh which Midas and Orion are very similar in uh capabilities, right? Um so I did ask, you know, Stuart, you know, you've got this, this company called Midas and I understand, you know, that there aren't that many people working there. Um, is there plans to ever grow that part of your business? <laughs> and, uh, you know, Stuart, you know, he was honest with me and he said that I'm not sure, uh, you know, we're always trying to grow, um, you know, but how about I get you in touch with somebody that can answer that question for you? Mm-hmm. And uh, that person was Sebastian Rennie. So Stuart says, Let me introduce you to Sebastian. The, the second I walk out of, like, I, I walked out of the building after having coffee with Stuart, and then my phone buzzes. <laughs> And uh, it's Sebastian And he calls me and he says hey Boris um, I just talked to Stuart and he said That I should give you a ring and I didn't Think that he meant like right away You must have made uh, one hell of an impression <laughs> I must have or or Stuart And Sebastian just happened to cross paths In the elevator and uh, It was just perfect timing <laughs> um, But yeah I was really happy That Stuart did because uh, I got a chance To talk to Sebastian go in and meet With him and uh, you know I, From the get go I love what Group M is doing. I've seen how they're hiring differently. I've, I, I, you know, I've seen the business that they're they're winning. I'm on the forefront of like where all the planners are just, you know, giving it their all. All the buyers are so close to the markets. There, uh, the I've never seen a team of an invest just investments like you know you you go to agencies and there one or few one or two. But like at Group M, they take investments incredibly seriously. Uh, I hate to say it's an army, but like, man, they've got an army. <laughs> and uh, I love
0: that the notion of having, you know, that much influence. Outside of the nine to five, you have been giving back tremendously in the industry. Uh, a lot of philanthropic work. We're going to go through the list here. Yeah. OK, so the first one is you're a judge at the Effie Awards. What is what are the Effie Awards?
1: So the Effies is a global um awards that celebrates marketing effectiveness right um obviously like every awards they have different categories I was honored to be a, a judge in the media category and uh you know that wasn't made possible um it that couldn't have been made possible without the help of like obviously the ICA who who run the effies here in Canada and that was a why eye-opening experience for me because I got to spend the day with some some of the most elite people in our industry, right? And we're talking shop and we're talking about like some of the best creative we've seen um, you know, in the last year and it was just great to get different perspectives. So I took a lot from that experience and I hope they invite me back because I would do it in a heartbeat.
0: No, I I I've, I've never judged, but I've been to awards shows and I'm with you on that. You learn a lot from seeing that creative. Like you take a lot of inspiration. It it kind of reboots the way you think about things.
1: Right. Yeah. And it gives you an opportunity to get in the mindset of the other agencies that you don't have visibility into, right? Yes, and that's it, true as well. Yeah, which is absolutely fantastic because I'm telling you, like anyone who ever judges an award should be scared that their agency isn't doing enough because that's
0: how great the work you see coming from all, all parties, right? You mentioned NABs earlier on. Uh, I'm very familiar with NABs. I used to be on the Ambassador Committee years ago. Uh, But tell people listening to this what NABs is. So NABs is the National Advertising Benevolent Society.
1: We are um, a collective of industry professionals um, who who put committees together to drive positive change and help people that are going through you know personal struggles whether it's financial struggles or um you know death in the family uh you know you need you need help with education uh learning development anything if you're in the industry look into nabs because they are literally the life support uh, for our people um Yeah, I I hope I'm doing them justice, but I sit on the board of directors. I I oversee the media sale, uh, which is um, a very interesting model where a lot of the partners across Canada, the media partners, uh, they donate inventory to NABs and they allow us to sell that inventory uh, and we can put all that money
0: back into funding um, the initiative that NABs produces. I got to learn about NABs during the, the Great Recession. I hate using that term. Back in like 2008, 2009, uh, one of my colleagues at CBC had introduced me to it. Then the bottom fell out on the world and I got to see just the kind of impact NABs makes on the industry. And I imagine with the pandemic right now and a lot of agencies downsizing, you guys have got to be running at 100 miles an hour. I can tell you right now, our people are busy
1: Um, and it's not an easy job, right? Because they, you got to have thick skin to do a job like the people do at nabs because they come across so many sad stories Uh, but you know what the thing is is this is kind of what fuels them to get together and say how can we help this one particular person right now how can we make this person's life more comfortable or somewhat comfortable for them you know there are people every day getting together at nabs figuring out how we're going to help change the life of somebody in our industry and i I think that's important um and i think it's it's something the younger generation maybe not might not be too aware of but i would love um the opportunity to you know get in front of as many young industry professionals and let them know what nabs is all about because you know one day it might be them that needs the services right or it might be one of their colleagues who who may need it and this is a great way to support Um, not only the people, but the industry as a whole.
0: And if anyone listening to this wants to learn more about NABs and the services they provide, they can go to nabs.org. Okay. Another place where we cross paths. I'm on the ad club as well. Uh, Mm Step back and I'm helping out on the digital day committee, but you're the co-chair of the ad club or co-chair of ad club student engagement. This is something relatively new to ad club. Tell us about that. That's right. Um, so Student Day uh, launched about a few years ago. We had our inaugural event,
1: um, which was more than we ever thought it it was going to turn out. It turned into be. Um, we had over 400 students come in and out of this huge, this small little conference we held at the Daniel Spectrum building. Um, we had a day full of panelists and Q&As. I'll tell you right now, I've I've gone to Probably over a hundred conferences and if you call webinars or whatever, thousands probably by now, but I've never been to a live event where somebody ever says, does anybody have a question? Does anybody in the audience have a question? And I swear you, I kid you not, 75% of the people put their hand up immediately I've never seen that happen before. I've always seen, you know, maybe 20 in a crowd. I've never seen about that's like, you know, 75% of the crowd put their hand up all at once. Um, So the level of engagement was so inspiring that it made me want to do it, continue doing it. So now I I co-chair with uh, Caitlin Nebs, who is just amazing. I love her. Um, She is probably the best business partner you can ever have because she's so chill and so smart and gets shit done, like literally, right? <laughs> That's
0: what you need is to get shit done.
1: Yeah, but like back when I said, like, uh, I prefer to have a boss, Caitlin would be a great boss because she's great at like following up with me and making sure I'm on it. Um, so yeah, working with her makes the job a lot easier. But student day is all about um, engaging with the the future talent, right? The future industry professionals and equipping them with the necessary knowledge, tools, resources, whatever it may be to get into whether an agency, a, um, a media like owner, whatever side of the industry you want to get into, creative data, um, we do our best to try to prepare them for that. And we do that a number of ways. We go to the actual colleges and schools. We speak directly to them. We have um, a really great network um, of professors, and we're very close to all the schools around here uh so that's really helped us in, to amplify our message and get some young people as a member of ad club which is very important for our industry because as we grow ad club we we always want that that user group to grow because as people leave the industry we need more people coming in to you know have have a social time you know
0: that sort of stuff means a lot to people absolutely right that's how you get to know your peers uh, another one to throw out there as well i mean Man, I mean, you, you, you've got more jobs outside of work than you do at, actually at work from the nine to fiver. But you're, also, you're a board member and you're the president of the Media and Communications Research Council.
1: MCRC is uh, formerly known as the Broadcast Research Council of Canada. Uh, I got nominated and voted in as president. Uh, it's a small group of volunteers who devote their time to learning about what the next big thing is going to be, what's trending in the industry. Uh, So we work with various trades and various vendors uh, to compile research. We're hoping to do a lot more work and more events in the near future. Given COVID, it's been such a nightmare to get anything up and running. But we've got some people on the board who are
0: pushing through. And we're hoping to get something out by 2021. Last uh, volunteer position we're going to touch on. You're doing something really interesting with Cynthia Rubino, who was a former guest on the Media People podcast. It's called Stay Connected. Tell us about what you guys are doing there.
1: I love Cynthia. So Cynthia approached me. Uh, so I've shared the stage with Cynthia a couple times, and she she's great. And we, her and I, we always have a million things to talk about. One day she approaches me, and this is um, this is post-lockdown. We're already locked down here. Everyone's about to work from home. She reaches out to me and says, hey, Boris, I have this idea. I want to do something for like a small group of people and see if we can help them like maybe improve their well-being. And I said, like, what do you have in mind? So she, she, she gave me a rundown of what she wanted to do. And I said, listen, Cynthia, I respect everything you do. Everything you do, you put your heart into it. So I'd be honored to, you know, come in as a, you know, a co-host. Uh, and we're on our like 12th episode and we're, we're loving it. We're meeting so many people. We're talking about interesting things. But at the end of the day, we're we're, we're impacting people's lives because they, they're reaching back to us and thanking us for all the advice and for just getting people in the room to talk about things that normally people would not ever want to talk about, especially to a stranger, right? We touch base on, you know, people's mental health and wellness, you know, um, being laid off during COVID has been a hot topic for a lot of people. And I think we've been sort of building a support group for a lot of people feeling a lot of different anxieties um, about COVID. Uh, so I've been really enjoying my time with Cynthia. And uh, yeah, it's it's been great. And I look forward to continuing to doing it. I always joke with her that like at the 100th episode, we've got to do like, where are you now episode where <laughs> we invite past guests and say, well, where are you working now? Um, but love Cynthia, love what we're doing. Um, for anyone that wants to check it out, just look it up. Um, Consultant Consultancy is uh, Cynthia's business uh, and it's powering the Stay Connected webinars.
0: And to join the webinar, you have to email Cynthia directly. This is by invite only, Right. You got it. It's exclusive. Um, we
1: like to keep it intimate, um, and we like to. It, it, there's a lot of communications that happen before the actual session. So right. we talk to the individuals that um, w- that are being asked to come into our sessions. We're asking them a lot of questions beforehand uh, to make sure that they're gonna get the necessary information they're looking for because. At the end of the day, if we're going to make this an intimate session, there's very limited seats, right? So we want to make sure that we're going to be able to address people's concerns um, to the best of our ability, right? So preparedness is a big focus for Cynthia and I as we always just kind
0: of launch things out. Some rapid-fire questions. The campaign you're most proud of. Ooh, okay. I'm asking I always you revert- pick one of your kids. I know. <laughs> um w well,
1: okay one in particular i always revert to this one because it, it this actually has a significant personal impact on me so it's not necessarily a campaign but um trisha allen my previous managing director at Orion. so who um her and i were watching in the office the fort mcmurray fire happening in the on cp24 do you remember the fort mcmurray fire oh yeah very much so yeah so we were watching that and it, we were just devastated, right? How many people were losing their homes or you know, they just lost everything. So we wanted to do something to help. So Trisha had this idea of like, Hey, listen, like it, stop what you're doing today. And let's just focus on helping the people in Fort McMurray. I'm like, you're crazy. <laughs> you can't, you can't just stop working all day. And just know she's like, no, stop what you're doing. We need to find like food and we need to f- send it to them now. <laughs> and, uh, I, I saw it in her eyes. She was serious. She was so worried for people. And I said, "Listen, you got it. I'm considered done, right? So made some calls. We managed to get like hundreds of thousands of dollars of like frozen pizzas and confectionery, and uh, and we were able to work with all of the the food. The, sorry, the food banks here who planned all the logistics to make sure that it got to the right people. And we spoke to the people afterwards and, and you know what, at that moment, I believed in exactly what Trisha was trying to do at Orion, right? She was trying to help people through the model that, um, that, 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 that exists in at Orion. And, uh, so at that moment, I, I realized like, okay, let's do more of this, right? Cause this is exciting. And, uh, ever since then we've never stopped with the social and corporate responsibility the charitable work um all you know trisha always included the other people in the office we included their their favorite charities we we're constantly talking about other ways of helping people which is um i think was great for me because it was new, i was new to the agency experience the agency environment and that sort of set the tone for me right so, and I love that. And I owe that to Tricia. Sorry. I thought that, that was probably the longest rapid fire answer you've ever gotten. Your favorite
0: movie.
1: Ooh, favorite movie. Okay. So I'm sort of like an 80s buff. I love 80s sitcoms and stuff like that. So I gravitate to like 80s movies. So favorite movies, probably 16 Candles,
0: Uncle Buck and Back to the Future. And when you say Back to the Future, are you talking the entire trilogy or just the first one? Just the first one. I mean, like, I enjoy the
1: trilogy, but, like, if I'm going to sit down and watch Back to the Future, I'm not going to start
0: at number two or three. You know what I'm saying? Interesting, because to me, that's the one trilogy mm-hmm. where every film gets better. <laughs> oh, yeah,
1: absolutely. But, like, the, 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 number one is always the best. Always like for me, when it comes to comics, when it comes to albums, I just there's something nostalgic about number one for me.
0: No, I'm with you on that. I, I like a good origin story. Like when, when you look at Chris Nolan's uh, Dark Knight trilogy, Batman Begins was my favorite out of those ones. If you look at the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I think the uh, the first Captain America film is completely underrated for no other reason than the second one was so good. I totally agree about Captain America being underrated.
1: Um, Iron Man was awesome. I, you know, yes, I really love what one they did. Yeah, I really love what the Marvel uh, Cinematic Universe kind of turned out to be, right? Because, like, you know, Iron Man, Captain America, Thor, like Hulk. Yeah, the, you know, you you can build movies around these people. But then when you start adding, like, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy, right, um, and more obscure characters, then you start to really get excited about what they're really building. And then I don't know if you look into what they're doing in the near future, um, but it looks like there's going to be some really great um, pictures coming out.
0: Yeah, the uh, what I really enjoyed about it was that because they had tied up a lot of their A-list characters with other studios and contracts, they were forced to use their B and C characters, but they did such a good job with casting and writing that it shows that you can do anything with any character as long as you've got a good script.
1: You've got it, right?
0: And which which is like
1: DC, let's let's just be real for oh a moment. God. Yeah. Sorry if anyone this from Warner Brothers is listening <laughs>
0: in on this. we, we, I, we I are DC Warner. fans
1: your favorite tv show favorite tv show hands down right now is naruto um i understand the series has ended and there's a a spinoff called baruto and i'm watching that but all-time favorite show naruto second is the wonder years remember the wonder years with oh god i remember the i remember the wonder years yeah Yeah. i love coming of age stuff like that's just love it uh i was really into star trek next generation and Battlestar galactica so you know you got a bit of anime sci-fi and some coming of age stuff a bit of everything
0: your favorite video game of all time
1: yeah this is a no-brainer so my favorite video game of all time is called dc universe online i've been playing this thing for since since it was out in beta and i uh, i'm gonna probably age myself here but i don't know maybe nine years ago i've been playing this game for nine years Um, and I've met a lot of great people that I, I would call my close friends actually, because I've known these people for nine years and we play on the same team. Um, it sounds silly, but it's crazy how much you learn about people who live around the world, but have a similar interest with you, right? You could have different political views, you know, you could be living in a different kind of economy or whatever, but When we're all together as a team and working towards one common goal, like we put all that shit aside, right? And we're focused on the mission at hand and it's, it's, it's crazy what video games can do in terms of building bonds with people, um, and I, if there was one thing I, I would encourage people to do that are playing video games is to create those bonds, right? Over time, create healthy relationships with people um, that you play video games with because, you know, they, they, they're they there and they, they're willing to help you um, through, like, even some of life's toughest, right? These guys were around when my daughter was born, when I was moving from Saskatoon to Toronto um,
0: so yeah, I really appreciate these guys, and yeah, my favorite game DC Universe Online. If Hollywood were to make a movie about your life story, who would you want them to cast to play you? Either my twin brother, which <laughs> that's would be a cop, of... <laughs> but it'd be yeah, pretty cool. Kind of...
1: uh, okay, I'm gonna say it, and and because everyone says I look like this person, so I'm gonna say Bobby Lee. Bobby I've Lee been stopped, TV. Bobby Lee from Mad TV. I've been stopped so many times. And people ask me, are you Bobby Lee from Bad TV? I said, no. What would Bobby Lee be doing here? Like, you know, like, (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Like, I've been asked that, like, you know, like uh, parties or bars. And I'm like, no, Bobby Lee wouldn't be at, like, you know, whatever bar I'm at at that moment. But, um, yeah, I get it. I got that a lot. And um, I think that that's when I was like, okay, I need to lose weight so people don't call me Bobby (laughs) Lee anymore. (laughs) (laughs) your favorite book oh favorite book um i got a couple like perks of being a wallflower was great but i like my favorite favorite book is probably super gods by grant morrison if anybody is a fan of comics or just superheroes and and that whole idea of um a super God has got to read this book. It's it's really great. It's really well-written. Anybody who knows Grant Morrison's writing will appreciate this book.
0: Oh, he was a big writer on Batman. That's for sure. Over the years. Yeah. Yep. Love this stuff on Batman. And that's it, a nice segue into the next. Oh, sorry. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, like, some. I think some of my favorite Batman stories were from Grant Morrison, right? He did a lot of the stuff leading up towards, like, um, Final Crisis, I think, or...
0: Uh, well, Batman R.I.P., a. a lot of that was him, yeah, and then right, Batman right. Inc., he was big into that, too. Oh, right, that's right. Perfect segue into the next question, uh, your favorite comic book. Oh, favorite comic book.
1: This is an easy one for me, like, because I always... This, this is the one book I always tell people to read. If you're going to pick up a comic book and start reading something... Go read kingdom come written by Mark Wade and uh, illustrated by Alex Ross. Number one, the artist, absolutely beautiful. Alex Ross is, he, he's, he's so unique in his style. Um, nobody really does superheroes the way he does it. Um, I, I, describe me. It would not do it any justice. You just have to go out there and Google the guy's name, Alex Ross. Um, beautiful stuff. But the story itself, if, if, It's got every character you want. It's got the Batman versus Superman dynamic. You you know, it's got a lot of characters you never thought would pop up in this book, too, which is great. The story is incredibly compelling. It's very deep, too. And it's basically what if every
0: superhero
1: went to war with each other? Like, think about that. That sounds crazy. (laughs)
0: <laughs> you know, it, I've read it, and it is a really, really, really good story. Your favorite song? This, this was a tough one because, like, I, I usually
1: just, like, play a random playlist on Spotify. But, you know, there are certain songs where you, like, play a couple times, you know, before you get to the next one. And I guess for me right now is uh, In the Aeroplane Over the Sea. But this one's covered by Matt Pond PA. PA. Um, I love uh, that band. They are great. Another song would be Yoshimi Battles the Pink Robot by The Flaming Lips. Uh, Love that entire album, but that song in particular is amazing. The best advice you have ever received? Never give up, you know, and that's something my wife constantly tells me is just never give up. And she inspires me to be the best version of me. Um, Ever since I've met her, um, I've only been a better
0: person. Hope she's hearing this if you could go back in time and give your younger self advice, what would you say? I tell my, uh, my daughter, Macy,
1: who's five years old. She's turning five. Uh, I tell her literally every single day. I say, when you grow up, Macy, time travel just might exist, right? So when time travel exists, come back and see me. So I, I end up walking around thinking that maybe an older version of Macy will appear, uh, approach me one day and say, daddy, it's Macy. Um, but, that's how I, I'll know tra- time travel exists. So if that doesn't happen, it's it doesn't exist. and At least not in her lifetime. So I encourage every parent to do that to their kids. All right, let's be serious for a second. I would tell myself that things are going to get rough, but those rough moments are going to define the man you're going to become one day. And I also would tell my younger self And it's not a reminder because I don't think I was a very kind kid. So I would absolutely remind myself to be more kinder to others growing up. Yeah, because I think being kind above everything else is more
0: important, um, more important than anything. My signature closing question, if you weren't in media, what would you be doing and why? All right, this
1: might be a little too close to media, but I'm going to say it anyways. Um, Creative strategy. Uh, I would love to explore the other side of the industry and go to a creative agency sometime down the future. Um, I just got this, this like an unfulfilled desire to work and learn from some of the most creative minds in Canada. And I know we've got tons of them. Um, I've been so fortunate to be able to work with so many people, so many incredible people in media. Um, and I hear about so many other people and, and the
0: creative side that I would love to meet. Obrigado Boris, this has been fantastic. Oh. Thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. That's it for today's show. For more episodes, you can go to mediapeople.ca or subscribe wherever you get podcasts. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Vic Genova.